Part two, chapter six of By What Authority by Robert Hugh Benson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Some contrasts. In the Lambeth household, the autumn passed by uneventfully. The rigor of the archbishop's confinement had been mitigated, and he had been allowed now and again to visit his palace at Croydon. But his inactivity still continued, as the sequestration was not removed. Elizabeth had refused to listen to the petition of convocation in eighty for his reinstatement. Anthony went down to the old palace once or twice with him, and was brought closer to him in many ways, and his affection and tenderness towards his master continually increased. Grindal was a pathetic figure at this time, with few friends, in poor health, out of favour with the queen, who had disregarded his existence, and now his afflictions were rendered more heavy than ever by the blindness that was creeping over him. The archbishop, too, in his loneliness and sorrow, was drawn closer to his young officer than ever before, and gradually got to rely upon him in many little ways. He would often walk with Anthony in the gardens at Lambeth, leaning upon his arm, talking to him of his beloved flowers and herbs, which he was now almost too blind to see, telling him queer facts about the properties of plants and even attempting to teach him a little irrelevant botany now and then they were walking up and down together soon after campion's arrest one august morning before prayers in a little walled garden on the river that grindal had laid out with great care in earlier years ah oh, said the old man i am too blind to see my flowers now mr norris but i love them none the less and I know their places. Now there, he went on, pointing with his stick, there, I think, grows my mastic, or marum. Perhaps I smell it, however. What is that flower like, Mr. Norris? Anthony looked at it and described its little white flowers and its leaves. That is it, said the archbishop. I thought my memory served me it is a kind of marjoram and it has many virtues against cramps convulsions and venomous bites so galen tells us then he went on to talk of the simple old plants that he loved best of the two kinds of basil that he always had in his garden and how good it was mixed in sack against the headache and the male pennyroyal and how well it had served him once when he had great internal trouble mr gerard was here a week or two ago mr norris when you were down at croydon for me he is my lord burleigh's man he oversees his gardens at wimbledon house and in the country he was telling me of a rascal he had seen at a fair who burned henbane and made folks with the toothache breathe in the fumes and then feigned to draw a worm forth from the aching tooth but it was no worm at all, but a lute-string that he held ready in his hand. There are sad rascals abroad, Mr. Norris. The old man waxed eloquent when they came to the iris-bed. Ah, Mr. Norris, the flowers de luce are over by now, I fear. But what wonderful creatures of God they are, with their great handsome heads and their cool flags. I love to hear a bed of them rustle all together and shake their spears and nod their banners like an army in array. 
and then they are not only for show apuleius says that they are good against the gout i asked mr gerard whether my lord had tried them but he said no he would not at the violet bed he was yet more emphatic i think mr norris i love these the best of all they are lowly creatures but how sweet and like other lowly creatures exalted by their maker to do great things as his handmaidens the leaves are good against inflammations and the flowers against ague and hoarseness as well and then there is oil of violets as you know and violet syrup and sugar violet then they are good for blisters garlands of them were an ancient cure for the headache as i think dioscorides tells us and they are the best of all cures for some children's ailments and so they walked up and down together the archbishop talking quietly on and on and helping quite unknown to himself by his tender irrelevant old man's talk to soothe the fever of unrest and anxiety that was beginning to torment anthony so much now his conversation like the very flowers he loved to speak of was good against inflammations anthony came to him one morning thinking to please him and brought him a root that he had bought from a travelling peddler just outside the gateway this is a mandrake root your grace i heard you speak of it the other day the archbishop took it smiling felt it carefully peered at it a minute or two no my son he said i fear you have met a knave this is briony root carved like a mandrake into the shape of a man's legs it is worthless i fear but i thank you for the kind thought mr norris and he gave the root back to him and the stories we hear of the mandrake i fear are fables too some say that they only grow beneath gallows from that which falls there that the male grows from the corruption of a man's body and the female from that of a woman's but that is surely a lie and a foul one too and then folks say that to draw it up means death and that the mandrake screams terribly as it comes up and so they bid us tie a dog to it and then drive the dog from it so as to draw it up so i asked mr baker the chirurgeon in the household of my lord oxford the other day about that and he said that such tales be but doltish dreams and old wives fables but the true mandrake is a clean and wholesome plant the true ointment populion should have the juice of the leaves in it and the root boiled and strained causes drowsiness it hath a predominant cold faculty galen saith but its true home is not in england at all it comes from mount garganus in apulia it was pathetic anthony thought sometimes that this old prelate should be living so far from the movements of the time owing to no fault of his own during these months the great tragedy of campion's passion was proceeding a couple of miles away but the archbishop thought less of it than of the death of an old tree the only thing from the outside world that seemed to ruffle him was the behavior of the puritans 
anthony was passing through la velvet room one afternoon when he heard voices in the presence chamber beyond and almost immediately heard the archbishop who had recognized his step call his name he went in and found him with a stranger in a dark sober dress take this gentleman to mr scott he said and ask him to give him some refreshment for that he must be gone directly when anthony had taken the gentleman to the steward he returned to the archbishop for any further instructions about him no mr norris my business is done with him he comes from my lord of norwich and must be returning this evening if you are not occupied mr norris will you give me your arm into the garden they went out by the vestry door into the little cloisters and skirting the end of the creek that ran up by chichely's water tower began to pace up and down the part of the garden that looked over the river my lord has sent to know if i know aught of one robert brown with whom he is having trouble this mr brown has lately come from cambridge and so my lord thought i might know something of him but i do not this gentleman has been saying some wild and foolish things i fear and desires that every church should be free of all others and should appoint its own minister and rule its own affairs without interference and that prophesyings should be without restraint now you know mr norris i have always tried to serve that party and support them in their gospel religion but this goes too far where were any governance at all if this were to come about where were the rule of faith the power of discipline nay where were the unity for which our saviour prayed it liketh me not good dr freke as his messenger tells me feels as i do about this and desires to restrain mr brown but he is so hot he will not be restrained and besides he is some kin to my lord burley so i fear his mouth will be hard to stop anthony could not help thinking of mr buxton's prediction that the church of england had so repudiated authority that in turn her own would one day be repudiated a papist prisoner your grace he said said to me the other day that this would be sure to come that the whole principle of church authority had been destroyed in england and that the church of england would more and more be deserted by her children for that there was no necessary centre of unity left now that peter was denied it is what a papist is bound to say replied the archbishop but it is easy to prophesy when fulfilment may be far away indeed i think we shall have trouble with some of these zealous men and the queen's grace was surely right in desiring some restraint to be put upon the exercises but it is mere angry raving to say that the church of england will lose the allegiance of her children anthony could not feel convinced that events bore out the archbishop's assertion everywhere the puritans were becoming more outrageously disloyal there were everywhere signs of disaffection and revolt against the authorities of the establishment even on the part of the most sincere and earnest men many of whom were looking forward to the day when the last rags of popery should be cast away and formal presbyterianism inaugurated in the church of england 
episcopal ordination was more and more being regarded as a merely civil requirement but conveying no ministerial commission recognition by the congregation with the laying on of the hands of the presbyterate was the only ordination they allowed as apostolic anthony said a word to the archbishop about this you must not be too strict said the old man both views can be supported by the scriptures and although the church of england at present recognizes only episcopal ordination within her own borders she does not dare to deny as the papists fondly do that other rites may not be as efficacious as her own that surely master norris is in accordance with the mind of christ that hath the spirit of liberty much as anthony loved the old man and his gentle charity this doctrinal position as stated by the chief pastor of the church of england scarcely served to establish his troubled allegiance during these autumn months too both between and after the disputations in the tower the image of campion had been much in his thoughts everywhere except among the irreconcilables the jesuit was being well spoken of his eloquence his humour and his apparent sincerity were being greatly commented on in london and elsewhere anthony as has been seen was being deeply affected on both sides of his nature the shrewd wit of the other was in conflict with his own intellectual convictions and this magnetic personality was laying siege to his heart and now the last scene of the tragedy more affecting than all was close at hand anthony was present first at the trial in westminster hall which took place during november and was more than ever moved by what he saw and heard there the priest as even his opponents confessed had by now won a marvellously good report to be such a man as his like was not to be found either for life learning or any other quality which might beautify a man and now here he stood at the bar paler than ever so numbed with racking that he could not lift his hand to plead that supple musician's hand of his once so skilful on the lute so that mr sherwin had to lift it for him out of the furred cuff in which he had wrapped it kissing it tenderly as he did so in reverence for its sufferings and he saw too the sleek face of elliot in his red yeoman's coat as he stood chatting at the back like another barabbas whom the people preferred to the servant of the crucified and above all he heard campion's stirring defence spoken in that same resonant sweet voice though it broke now and then through weakness in spite of the unconquerable purpose and cheerfulness that showed in his great brown eyes and round his delicate humorous mouth it was indeed an astonishing combination of sincerity and eloquence and even humour that was brought to bear on the jury and all in vain during those days if you want to dispute as though you were in the schools cried one of the court when he found himself out of his depth you are only proving yourself a fool i pray god said campion while his eyes twinkled i pray god make us both sages 
and in spite of the tragedy of the day a little hum of laughter ran around the audience if a sheep were stolen he argued again in answer to the presupposition that since some catholics were traitors therefore these were and a whole family called in question for the same were it good manner of proceeding for the accusers to say your great-grandfathers and fathers and sisters and kinfolk all loved mutton ergo you have stolen the sheep again in answer to the charge that he and his companions had conspired abroad he said as for the accusation that we plotted treason at rheims reflect my lords how just this charge is for see first we never met there at all then many of us have never been at rheims at all finally we were never in our lives all together except at this hour and in prison anthony heard too campion expose the attempt that was made to shift the charge from religion to treason there was offer made to us he cried indignantly that if we would come to the church to hear sermons and the word preached we should be set at large and at liberty so pascal and nichols two apostates otherwise as culpable in all offences as we upon coming to church were received to grace and had their pardon granted whereas if they had been so happy as to have persevered to the end they had been partakers of our calamities so that our religion was cause of our imprisonment and ex consequenti of our condemnation the queen's council tried to make out that certain secrets that campion in an intercepted letter had sworn not to reveal must be treasonable or he would not so greatly fear their publication to this the priest made a stately defence of his office and declaration of his staunchness he showed how by his calling as a priest he was bound to secrecy in matters heard in confession and that these secret matters were of this nature these were the hidden matters he said these were the secrets to the revealing whereof i cannot nor will not be brought come rack come rope and again when sergeant anderson interpreted a phrase of campion's referring to the great day to which he looked forward as meaning the day of a foreign papal invasion the prisoner cried in a loud voice o oh, judas judas no other day was in my mind i protest than that wherein it should please god to make a restitution of faith and religion whereupon as in every pulpit every protestant doth i pronounced a great day not wherein any temporal potentate should minister but wherein the terrible judge should reveal all men's consciences and try every man of each kind of religion this is the day of change this is the great day which i threatened comfortable to the well-behaving and terrible to all heretics any other day but this god knows i meant not 
then after the other prisoners had pleaded campion delivered a final defence to the jury with a solemnity that seemed to belong to a judge rather than a criminal the babble of tongues that had continued most of the day was hushed to a profound silence in court as he stood and spoke for the sincerity and simplicity of the priest were evident to all and combined with his eloquence and his strange attractive personality dominated all but those whose minds were already made up before entering the court what charge this day you sustain began the priest in a steady low voice with his searching eyes bent on the faces before him and what account you are to render at the dreadful day of judgment whereof i could wish this also were a mirror i trust there is not one of you but knoweth i doubt not but in like manner you forecast how dear the innocent is to god and at what price he holdeth man's blood here we are accused and impleaded to the death he began to raise his voice a little here you do receive our lives into your custody here must be your device either to restore them or condemn them we have no whither to appeal but to your consciences we have no friends to make there but your heeds and discretions then he touched briefly on the evidence showing how faulty and circumstantial it was and urged them to remember that a man's life by the very constitution of the realm must not be sacrificed to mere probabilities or presumptions then he showed the untrustworthiness of his accusers how one had confessed himself a murderer and how another was an atheist then he ended with a word or two of appeal god give you grace he cried to weigh our causes aright and have respect to your own consciences and so i will keep the jury no longer i commit the rest to god and our convictions to your good discretions when the jury had retired and all the judges but one had left the bench until the jury should return anthony sat back in his place his heart beating and his eyes looking restlessly now on the prisoners now on the door where the jury had gone out and now on judge ayloff whom he knew a little and who sat only a few feet away from him on one side he could hear the lawyers sitting below the judge talking among themselves and presently one of them leaned over to him good day mr norris he said you have come to see an acquittal i doubt not no man can be in two minds after what we have heard at least concerning mr campion we all think so here at any rate the lawyer was going on to say a word or two more as to the priest's eloquence when there was a sharp exclamation from the judge anthony looked up and saw judge ayloff staring at his hand turning it over while he held his glove in the other and anthony saw to his surprise that the fingers were all blood-stained one or two gentlemen near him turned and looked too as the judge still staring and growing a little pale wiped the blood quickly away with the glove but the fingers grew crimson again immediately spotty said ayloff half to himself 
tis strange there is no wound a moment later looking up he saw many of his neighbours glancing curiously at his hand and his pale face and hastily thrust on his glove again and immediately after the jury returned and the judges filed in to take their places anthony's attention was drawn off again and the buzz of talk in the court was followed again by a deep silence the verdict of guilty was uttered as had been prearranged and the queen's counsel demanded sentence campion and the rest said chief justice ray what can you say why you should not die then campion still steady and resolute made his last useless appeal it was not our death that ever we feared but we knew that we were not lords of our own lives and therefore for want of answer would not be guilty of our own deaths the only thing that we have now to say is that if our religion do make us traitors we are worthy to be condemned but otherwise are and have been true subjects as ever the queen had in condemning us you condemn all your own ancestors and as he said this his voice began to rise and he glanced steadily and mournfully round at the staring faces about him all the ancient priests bishops and kings all that was once the glory of england the island of saints and the most devoted child of the see of peter then as he went on he flung out his wrenched hands and his voice rang with indignant defiance for what have we taught he cried however you may qualify it with the odious name of treason that they did not uniformly teach to be condemned with these old lights not of england only but of the world by their degenerate descendants is both gladness and glory to us then with a superb gesture he sent his voice pealing through the hall god lives posterity will live their judgment is not so liable to corruption as that of those who are now about to sentence us to death there was a burst of murmurous applause as he ended which stilled immediately as the chief justice began to deliver sentence but when the horrible details of his execution had been enumerated and the formula had ended it was the prisoner's turn to applaud te deum laudamus cried campion te deum confitemur hec est dies shouted sherwin quam fecit dominus exultemus at laetemur in illa and so with the thanksgiving and joy of the condemned criminals the mock trial ended when anthony rode down silently and alone in the rain that december morning a few days later to see the end he found a vast silent crowd assembled on tower hill and round the gateway where the four horses were waiting each pair harnessed to a hurdle laid flat on the ground he would not go in for he could scarcely trust himself to speak so great was his horror of the crime that was to be committed so he backed his horse against the wall and waited over an hour in silence 
scarcely hearing the murmurs of impatience that rolled round the great crowd from time to time absorbed in his own thoughts here was the climax of these days of misery and self-questioning that had passed since the trial in westminster hall it was no use he argued to himself to pretend otherwise these three men of god were to die for their religion and religion too which was gradually detaching itself to his view from the mists and clouds that hid it as the one great reality and truth of god's revelation to man he had come he knew to see not an execution but a martyrdom there was a trampling from within the bolts creaked and the gate rolled back a company of halberdiers emerged and in their midst the three priests in layman's dress behind followed a few men on horseback with a little company of ministers bible in hand and then a rabble of officers and pursuivants anthony edged his horse in among the others as the crowd fell back and took up his place in the second rank of riders between a gentleman of his acquaintance who made room for him on the one side and sir francis knowles on the other and behind the tower officials then once more he heard that ringing bass voice whose first sound silenced the murmurs of the surging excited crowd god save you all gentlemen god bless you and make you all good catholics then as the priest turned to kneel towards the east he saw his face paler than ever now after his long fast in preparation for death the rain was still falling as campion in his frieze gown knelt in the mud there was silence as he prayed and as he ended aloud by commending his soul to god in manus tuas domine commendo spiritum meum the three were secured to the hurdles briant and sherwin on the one campion on the other all lying on their backs with their feet towards the horse's heels the word to start was given by sir owen hopton who rode with chark the preacher of gray's inn in the front rank the lashed horses plunged forward with the jolting hurdles spattering mud behind them and the dismal pageant began to move forward through the crowd on that way of sorrows there was a ceaseless roar and babble of voices as they went chark in his minister's dress able now to declaim without fear of reply was hardly silent for a moment from mocking and rebuking the prisoners and making pompous speeches to the people see here he cried these roguing popish priests laid by the heels i by the heels at last in spite of their tricks and turns see this fellow in his frieze gown dead to the world as he brags and know how he skulked and hid in his disguises till her majesty's servants plucked him forth we will disguise him we will disguise him ere we have done with him that his own mother should not know him ha now campion do you hear me and so the harsh voice rang out over the crowd that tramped alongside and up to the faces that filled every window while the ministers below kept up a ceaseless murmur of adjuration and entreaty and threatening 
with the turning of leaves of their bibles and bursts of prayer over the three heads that jolted and rocked at their feet over the cobblestones and through the mud the friends of the prisoners walked as near to them as they dared and their lips moved continually in prayer every now and then as anthony craned his head he could see campion's face with closed eyes and moving lips that smiled again and again all spattered and dripping with filth and once he saw a gentleman walking beside him fearlessly stoop down and wipe the priest's face with a handkerchief presently they had passed up cheapside and reached newgate in a niche in the archway itself stood a figure of the mother of god looking compassionately down and as campion's hurdle passed beneath it her servant wrenched himself a few inches up in his bonds and bowed to his glorious queen and then laid himself down quietly again as a chorus of lament rose from the ministers over his superstition and obstinate idolatry that seemed as if it would last even to death and chark too who had become somewhat more silent broke out again into revilings the crowd at tyburn was vast beyond all reckoning outside the gate it stretched on every side under the elms a few were even in the branches along the sides of the stream everywhere was a sea of heads out of which on a little eminence like another calvary rose up the tall posts of the three-cornered gallows on which the martyrs were to suffer as the hurdles came slowly under the gate the sun broke out for the first time and as the horses that drew the hurdles came round towards the carts that stood near the gallows and the platform on which the quartering block stood a murmur began that ran through the crowd from those nearest the martyrs but they are laughing they are laughing the crowd gave a surge to and fro as the horses drew up and anthony reined his own beast back among the people so that he was just opposite the beam on which the three new ropes were already hanging and beneath which was standing a cart with back taken out in the cart waited a dreadful figure in a tight-fitting dress sinewy arms bare to the shoulder and a butcher's knife at his leather girdle a little distance away stood the hateful cauldron bubbling fiercely with black smoke pouring from under it the platform with the block and quartering axe stood beneath the gallows and round this now stood the officers with norton the rack master and sir owen hopton and the rest and the three priests with the soldiers forming a circle to keep the crowd back the hangman stooped as anthony looked and a moment later campion stood beside him on the cart pale mud-splashed but with the same serene smile his great brown eyes shone as they looked out over the wide heaving sea of heads from which a deep heart-shaking murmur rose as the famous priest appeared anthony could see every detail of what went on the hangman took the noose that hung from above and slipped it over the prisoner's head and drew it close round his neck and then himself slipped down from the cart and stood with the others still well above the heads of the crowd but leaving the priest standing higher yet on the cart silhouetted rope and all framed in the posts and crossbeam 
from which two more ropes hung dangling against the driving clouds and blue sky over london city campion waited perfectly motionless for the murmur of innumerable voices to die down and anthony fascinated and afraid beneath that overpowering serenity watched him turn his head slowly from side to side with a majestical countenance as his enemies confessed as if he were on the point of speaking silence seemed to radiate out from him spreading like a ripple outwards until the furthest outskirts of that huge crowd was motionless and quiet and then without apparent effort his voice began to peal out spectaculum facti sumus deo angeli set hominibus these are the words of saint paul englished thus we are made a spectacle or sight unto god unto his angels and unto men verified this day in me who am here a spectacle unto my lord god a spectacle unto his angels and unto you men satisfying myself to die as becometh a true christian and catholic man he was interrupted by cries from the gentlemen beneath and turned a little looking down to see what they wished you are not here to preach to the people said sir francis knowles angrily but to confess yourself a traitor campion smiled and shook his head no no he said and then looking up and raising his voice as to the treasons which have been laid to my charge and for which i am come here to suffer i desire you all to bear witness with me that i am thereof altogether innocent there was a chorus of anger from the gentlemen and one of them called up something that anthony could not hear campion raised his eyebrows well my lord he cried aloud and his voice instantly silenced again the noisy buzz of talk i am a catholic man and a priest in that faith have i lived and in that faith do i intend to die if you esteem my religion treason then am i guilty as for other treason i never committed any god is my judge but you have now what you desire i beseech you to have patience and suffer me to speak a word or two for discharge of my conscience there was a furious burst of refusals from the officers well said campion at last looking straight out over the crowd it seems i may not speak but this only will i say that i am wholly innocent of all treason and conspiracy as god is my judge and i beseech you to credit me for it is my last answer upon my death and soul as for the jury i do not blame them for they were ignorant men and easily deceived i forgive all who have compassed my death or wronged me in any whit as i hope to be forgiven and i ask the forgiveness of all those whose names i spoke upon the rack then he said a word or two more of explanation such as he had said during his trial for the sake of those catholics whom this a concession of his had scandalized telling them that he had had the promise of the council that no harm should come to those whose names he revealed 
and then was silent again closing his eyes and anthony as he watched him saw his lips moving once more in prayer then a harsh loud voice from behind the cart began to proclaim that the queen punished no man for religion but only for treason a fierce murmur of disagreement and protest began to rise from the crowd and anthony turning saw the faces of many near him frowning and pursing their lips and there was a shout or two of denial here and there the harsh voice ceased and another began now mr campion it cried tell us what of the pope do you renounce him campion opened his eyes and looked around i am a catholic he said simply and closed his eyes again for prayer as the voice cried brutally in your catholicism all treason is contained again a murmur from the crowd then a new voice from the black group of ministers called out mr campion mr campion leave that popish stuff and say christ have mercy on me again the priest opened his eyes you and i are not one in religion sir wherefore i pray you content yourself i bar none of prayer but i only desire them of the household of faith to pray with me and in mine agony to say one creed again he closed his eyes pater noster quiescentialis pray in english pray in english shouted a voice from the minister's group once more the priest opened his eyes and in spite of the badgering his eyes shone with humour and his mouth broke into smiles so that a great sob of pity and love broke from anthony i will pray to god in a language that both he and i well understand ask her grace's forgiveness mr campion and pray for her if you be her true subject wherein have i offended her in this i am innocent this is my last speech in this give me credit i have and do pray for her ah ha but which queen for elizabeth i for elizabeth your queen and my queen unto whom i wish a long quiet reign with all prosperity there was the crack of the whip the scuffle of a horse's feet a rippling movement over the crowd and a great murmured roar like the roar of the waves on a pebbly beach as the horse's head began to move forward and the priest's figure to sway and stagger on the jolting cart anthony shut his eyes and the murmur and cries of the crowd grew louder and louder once more the deep sweet voice rang out loud and penetrating i die a true catholic anthony kept his eyes closed and his head bent as great sobs began to break up out of his heart ah he was in his agony now that sudden cry and silence from the crowd showed it what was it he had asked one creed i believe in god the father almighty the soft heavy murmur of the crowd rose and fell catholics were praying all around him reckless with love and pity jesu jesu save him be to him a jesus mary pray mary pray credo in deum patrem omnipotentem 
passus sub pontio pilato crucified dead and buried the forgiveness of sins and the life everlasting anthony dropped his face forward onto his horse's mane End of chapter six